family. I would like to look to the book of Acts and uh, a curious text upon first blush. You, 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 it might feel like a head fake, but there's something buried here that I want to talk to us about tonight and that I believe that the Lord would like to show us. The book of Acts chapter 10, if you'd like to stand, you're more than welcome to. I will not uh, obligate you to. But for those that would like to stand, we're going to read from the book of Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Everyone say Cornelius. A centurion of the band called the Italian band. I love the language there and uh, I can't help it. You already know I have an active imagination. So my mind immediately goes to the wrong kind of Italian band. Um, but anyway, Cornelius was a devout man. And one that feared God. Now, this is what I want us to key in on this next phrase. One that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Prayed to God always. Now, when we say that Cornelius was a devout man and one that feared God, we mean that he revered God. He held God in awe and in very high esteem. And the scripture goes on to say, with all his house, with all his house. And in the Greek, and in, in certain translations, even popular translations like the NIV, it says, with all his family. With all his family. Cornelius was a devout man. One that feared God. And not just him, but all of his family. And so tonight on family night, this will probably be a little raw. There's going to be a little instruction here tonight. And um, I, I wonder if you would just... Pray with me as I deliver the word, the united family of God, the united family of God. Lord, we pray that you would be near. I pray that you would make me safe, Lord, to this your assembly. We are your children, the ones that you have loved with an everlasting love. And I pray, God, that tonight you would edify this body, Lord, that you would draw us together, make us one, Lord, even as you are one. And I pray, Lord, that every heart and mind would be blessed, that our ears would hear what thus saith the Lord. Remove the scales from our eyes. Help us to understand the times that we live in and to be aware, Father, of the onslaught of the enemy, yet inspired, God, knowing that you are greater and that you have, Lord, a glorious future for your church. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Would you agree with me and say amen? I feel it in my bones, so let's go ahead and give him another hand clap as you're seated. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The scripture says that, again, Cornelius was a devout man. And yes, this was not the case with just Cornelius, but his whole house. And when I think about the Christian family and when I think about what it means to be light in the world, this is what I envision as the definition, an entire household that when you're in downtown Loveland near the bike trail, I live just a couple miles removed from there, that people see you and your family and there's something different. There's something that stands out. And, and I could go into the descriptives, but I'll refrain because we've got a lot, uh, a lot to plow through here tonight. But this united family that feared the Lord saw the salvation, Acts 10 says, of their kinsmen and their near friends. Now, there is a linkage. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. There is a linkage that, that occurs 
between a family that is united as a family of God with one purpose and one priority and the salvation of your kinsmen. We know them as our lost loved ones, right? We know them, Brother Purdy, as Bob and Diane. We, we know them as those that we care about deeply. And, and they saw the salvation of their kinsmen and they saw the salvation of their near friends. I, I don't know about you, but I have friends in the world that they don't walk the same walk I walk, but they would number me among their friends. And, and, and see, when our light begins to so shine, then it is salvation to those that are nearest to us. And this is a picture of what the church should be and what we should all desire to be. There is power when the household, when the family is united in all the Lord. The household, the home, the church, the gospel. These be multi-generational things. Somebody say multi-generational. If there is a parent and a child relationship, there is a generation represented. So when you hear that word tossed around multi-generational, it is a word of consequence and of matter. The family is an entity like no other. Amen. Some of you said, if you knew my family, you <laughs> absolutely. Nobody sees the real you like family sees the real you. No one understands you like family. And even when you're misunderstood, there's usually a relational depth that exists within the family that transcends what anyone on the outside could really ever fully comprehend. You ever seen a family member defend someone when they were acting out, defend, the, defend their own family? Because they know them and they see them and they, and they know what they're going through and, and, and they, they, have, they have caught their scent in more ways than one. They're sent as a person, but then also living together. It just has a unique air about it. I remember the scent of my father's clothing when he came home from work. Does anyone have a memory like that? I, and he did, that smelled like dad. So we just know things about family that we don't know about others. And some of our experiences, they seem, of course, uh, similar. But there are dimensions to family that make them dissimilar. There are layers. There are things that we don't share. And there is tone and, and there is depth to family. There's habits and nuances. And, and there's diet. And there's conversation or maybe the lack thereof. I could go on and on, but suffice it to say, there's nothing quite like the family. Will y'all give me that? So I'll give you a, for instance, I was 11 years old. I was sitting in the passenger seat of a brand new Nissan Sentra five speed wagon with an AM radio. The first new car that the Duvall household had ever purchased. Whoa. And um, it's Saturday morning, and I played for the Green Hills Forest Park All-Stars. I just want to get that out there. So we were on our way to baseball. And Dad decided that we were going to take Mom's new car that day, and he got in the car. He put his coffee down in the cup holder the, right there, conveniently located by the emergency brake. Remember they used to have those? Now it's a button, you know. And... And uh, he reached over to an umbrella that was, seat, that, that was there in the passenger seat. Now, it's one of those cheap, like, Walgreens umbrellas, you know, with a little snap that holds it together. It's got the nice little painted-on silver on the button, and you 
collapse it short so it's nice and compact, right? Take it with you, right? But then you press that button, it's like a switchblade, boom, you know, it was shot out. And the, the umbrella was closed at the snap, but it was extended by the little silver button. And dad picked up the umbrella and he shut the umbrella. Seems natural, click. And I'm sitting there in the passenger seat. We're still in the garage. And I said, dad, that umbrella's broken. And he looked at it and he said, looks fine to me. And I said, well, it doesn't stay shut. And so he extends his arm and taps the dashboard with the umbrella. And it shoots open and shatters the windshield. And um, nobody knows dad like a son. So no matter how verbose and, and, and profound the words in my mouth, I told you so were. They were not going to cross the gate of my lips. I stared straight ahead, enjoying the view of the garage through that cracked windshield. And dad said, we'll take my car. And so, and so we got out and we got in the old Woody, you know, the big wagon with the panels on it, you know, so we're going to roll the baseball in the Woody. We didn't get to, we didn't get to drive the fly red Nissan Sentra, but no one, you know, that memory is a family memory. It has depth to it. It has tone to it. It's just something, there's something unique. I'll share another one with you. I might, you know, I could share a few, but if you're all right, I'm going to share one more. So my sister, when we were in grade school, she's in the back seat. It was during the, the Persian Gulf War, during Desert Storm, Brother Enos. And we're on our way to school, and Mom would listen to news radio, talk radio on the way to school. And the news had been dominated for days about uh, the, the bombings and the terror and, and all the horror that was happening in the Middle East and the war and all the atrocities of war. And my sister, from the back seat as a, as a grade school child, she says... Who is the man that is killing everybody? Who is he? And my mom said, Hussein. And she said, the one they're talking about on the radio all the time, every day I hear it. And my mom said, Hussein. And she said, everyone, everyone is talking about it. And my mom said, Hussein. And my sister burst into tears and she said, that's what I'm telling you. Everyone's saying it. I don't know who he is. And, and so then mom, it clicked. Oh, it's Saddam Hussein. That's his name, not who's saying it. And so it was just this big mass confusion. And, and so you just have this culmination of a mom who's trying to get to work, get the kids on time to school. And then you have the, the tender hearted summer. Have you met summer, right? Who, who is misunderstood. And so she's, she, the, the tears burst forth. And, and of course you have me just rolling my eyes. Like, are we there yet? You know? So, but it's family, it's family. I was playing a board game uh, a couple weeks ago with, with my wife and, and daughters. And it was before Kedrick had gotten home from college. And, uh, we play this game called marbles. It's not the shoot marbles. It's a, it's a board game. And Brooklyn had sent Marla home like nine times. This is a bad thing, by the way. I won't explain the whole game to you. But getting sent home is not fun. And it, like on the 10th time, Brooklyn, I see you smiling. All of a sudden, Marla just, 
better stop it. Starts wailing on her, just a closed fist into the arm, you know. And see, here's the thing that you don't know about my sweet, beautiful wife. She is a sore loser, like really sore loser. But if you're not in the family, you don't know that. You know, in the NIV, Corinthians 13 says, love bears no record of wrong. Well, let me tell you why she reads from the KJV, because that ain't how it's going down. She will remember and she will, she will come after you. So this is just, you all have your stories, but we're talking about family. And tonight I want to talk about the united family of God. Now, when I say it, I'm not talking about the family of God, you and I, but I'm talking about the united family, this micro entity within the macro entity being of God. Because if this family is ever going to be the family of God that God desires it to be, then the micro family will be the family of God that God desires it to be. Is that understood? So, so if, if you'll permit me, I'd like to just share a few things that God has laid upon my heart regarding the family of God within the family of God. Amen. Now, I do recognize that there are mothers and fathers that are serving both roles in the household, that there's brokenness in our society and within the church. And I want you to know that this, this word of truth is still applicable and, and I need you. I need you. I need you in my children's lives. Hallelujah. I need you in my marriage. I need you to be part of the family and to stand up and be recognized just like the world would recognize the light that shines forth, the church needs to be inspired and receive light one from another. So it's an understatement to say that the family is under attack. Like understatement. Today's culture is full-on assault mode of the family. And I don't want to be that preacher that comes up here cursing the darkness instead of declaring the light. But in the same breath... I want to point out that there is a systematic and targeted erosion of family in American society and globally. Entertainment is playing its role. Government is playing its role. Government through the education system is playing its role. And hear this truth. Hear this truth. The children of God will be hard-pressed to win battles that they don't know they're fighting. I said the children of God will be hard-pressed to win battles they don't know they're fighting. So it's appropriate that a watchman stand on the wall and say there is an enemy. There is an adversary. There is a plan that is engineered against the church and against the family. And so let's heed, heed the word of the Lord this evening. Now, make no mistake. The, the, the family is under assault from every angle. Fathers are being mocked, mocked and marginalized. Mothers' biblical roles and esteemed roles are being mocked and marginalized. And, and, and it's hellish. It's astounding. The, the slang terms used for mothers, different things that have emerged in our society over the past few years. Our young people's worth is measured in likes and posts and empty electronic approvals. Their identities are godless and errant. And even gender is now under assault. And to be determined. The institution of family is what takes the hit when abortion is in a society. Do you understand? See, I spent a long time talking to us last time about family, about the, the institution of family and how it came about and how it was the heartbeat and blueprint for society that God himself established and ordained. But I want to call today 
the family, the children, the parents, the grandparents. I want to call on every generation. Abraham, that's our elders. Isaac, that's me. Jacob, our young people, I want to call on every generation today. Let's engage as individuals who are called and empowered to see our households and our family walk in the fullness of the promise of God, to shine forth his light in darkness, his glorious light. And here's the thing, church, I want to I want to I want to present this if I can. There is an untapped blessing that many churches never achieve, they never realize, they never experience. And that untapped blessing comes when we are a unified church in the home across generations. And we accomplish the work of God in the earth to a degree that we never could. And we, we fall short. We, we, we don't understand, well, what's the missing link? Why aren't we seeing people compelled by our message? Why aren't we being, why, why is there not healing? Why is there not, so, well, we see this, we see that. But I'm telling you, there's something that if we can revisit our roots for just a minute, if we can come back just for a moment to where it all began when God said he created man and he created woman, he said, let them be one flesh. When he said, this is now bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh, and uh, and in other words, the inside of her is it, it, it's established by what's on the inside of you. Oh, my God. I've got to stay the course. But if we could ever understand that and unlock it in our families, there is a blessing that flows up from the young and down from the old, and it will bless the church. Someone say family matters. God's societal foundation. Family matters to him. He is our father. He shows us what fatherhood looks like. He robed himself in flesh as the begotten son of God to show us how sons and joint heirs behave. He is the husband. He has made the church his bride. Everything that he does is about family. And in the great book of beginnings, God created the world and set forth order in and through the institution of family. Someone say, this thing is multi-generational. The household is multi-generational, and so is the church. So when Jesus prays that we would be one as he is one in John 17, he's not praying, make the retirees one. He's not praying, make all the single mothers one. He's not praying, make the branch youth group one. See, that's, that's what we do. We come together in our little part of the greater organism and we pray, let us. But no, Jesus was praying, if they believe on me, Lord, make them one. From the elder to the toddler, my God in heaven. From the husband to the wife to the aunts and the uncles. Every generation, every creed, every tongue. Lord, make them one even as we are one. This is the heartbeat of God. There may be a natural grouping or a profile that we fit into. But listen, there is a blessing for the individual within a household, within a greater assembly, within the great church of the living God that understands we are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. This is the united family of God. When the household family taps into the multi-generational unity of God, the church family can't escape it. 
Because if my son and I are one, and if my daughter and her grandmother are one, then when we come into this church, it just spreads like wildfire. And nothing will be withheld from us. Nothing will be withheld from us. If you think the unity that was demonstrated at Babel was something that God took notice of, wait till you see how God takes notice of the unity of the church across every generation and every age. Amen. 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 So tonight, let's spend a moment coming into biblical understanding and, and revisiting just a few aspects. It can't be exhaustive. We'd be here. You'd be exhausted. I'd be exhausted. But, but let's just look at a few aspects of God's heartbeat for the generations. Now, I've got cotton mouth something fierce, so somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Lord, we give you glory. So to my Jacob generation, if you're under the age of 20, raise your hand. If you're under the age of 20, come on, raise it like straight, not like don't call on me. Okay. This is my Jacob generation. Now, when I say Abraham, Isaac, and, J and, and Jacob, of course, they progressed, and each of them experienced every phase of life. But I'm just talking about the elder and the middle and the youth. Children, young people. Now, you spread out on me, so I can't. I, I got to. I need to do like the Geico lizard eyes here. You play a vital role in the kingdom of God. Let, let me start by saying you play a vital role in the kingdom of God. In the church today, now, I, I didn't, I, I'm not saying you're the church of tomorrow. No, 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 no. You're the church of right now and you matter right now and you have power and promise over your life right now. The Holy Ghost is in you right now. Joel prophesied that you would prophesy right now. Hallelujah. And so the Lord shows us what, what is the role of the younger. And, and, I, and, I, and this is familiar text. It's eye-rolling text. Every demon in hell is going to roll their eyes with you. Don't join them. But hear what the word of God says. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, children, obey. Obey. That means give an ear Listen, pay attention, and follow your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. As if Paul needs to justify himself, he goes ahead and gives us a big key on why obedience to parents is in order. Because it's right. This is the way God established it. And then it says honor and that this word honor in the Greek means value, like, like you have a prize, thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now, here's the thing. There's not a young person on the planet, well, well, check that, in the church, Holy Ghost filled, that would argue that thou shalt not kill is an important commandment. But here's the thing. Obedience and honor to your mother and father, it made the same big ten. As thou shalt not kill. This is important to God. But with all of the other commandments, there was no promise directly attached. But when it came to obeying and honoring the parents, God snapped a promise to it. <laughs> and he said, if you'll do this, things will be well with you. I can't handle it, church. I'm talking about being well. It's too generic. You know why it's so generic? Because it's that good. 
Because when things are well, that means everything's well. That's talking about your health. It's talking about your relationships. It's talking about your grades, talking about your career, talking about who you're going to marry, talking about where you're going to work, whether the car is going to run. I'm just telling you that things will be well with you when you obey and honor mom and dad. And here's another bonus. If you need one, and thou mayest live as, <laughs> that's a tongue twister, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And Proverbs comes well before Paul writes to Ephesus, 1 and 8, Hear the instructions of thy father, forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace or favor unto thy head. Now watch the, the language. I, I, I started with the young generation first because I know you got the shortest attention spans. It says that the favor of your mother and father will be an ornament on your head. And it will be an ornament of grace. Now, let's just get an image here of what it means. We know what ornamentation is. The New Testament has some things to say about that. And when, when, when you are living in respect to your mother and father, following their laws, their favor on you is like an ornament. In, in other words, when people see you in public, they see you and they say there's favor on that person. And it's a favor that they can't help but acquiesce to. They can't help but get in line and honor. This is a supernatural favor. Proverbs 6.20, My son, keep thy father's commandments. Forsake not the law of thy mother. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Now, that was written in the Hebrew, but it almost sounds like poetry even in the English. Uh, and, I, and I'm tempted, but I don't want my kids to blush. I'd like to put a little tune to it. <laughs> Somebody said do it. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. In other words, it will be with you, it will be in you, and it will bless you no matter what course you are on, no matter what your lot in life is, no matter if it's high, no matter if it's low, the instruction that your parents will give you in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. Listen, I know, I know. Now, somebody told me that I meddle when I preach. I heard them. They, they said it right to me. And I was like, I received that. And then I was like, have you ever read the epistles? These are, they should have just named them the meddlers. Every epistle, Brother Reuben, is just getting in everybody's business about everything. And so we're entering, we're entering the height, the peak season of America's idolatry. If you can't make the connection, I, I won't suffer uh, to, 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 to elaborate. I will just say, we're entering the peak season of America's idolatry. It comes around once a year. And during this season, conversations will be arrested by the idolatry. Money, time, attention. By the way, those, those are, that's called worship. Whatever you give your time, attention, money to. So am I condemning it? No, no, no. Not shouting at the darkness. But what I'm trying to say is there are some noises, there are some conversations that are not going to benefit you. 
I mean, maybe if you got the right bet, put the money on. Do you see how this goes downhill quickly? But the eternal things of the Lord, oh, they will be an ornament about your neck, young person. And I'm telling you, the instruction that you hear from your elders and the instruction that you receive from your parents, it will bless you, the instruction that you hear from this pulpit. Proverbs 15, a fool despiseth his father's instruction. Now, we'll get to parents and, and young people. Uh, I, I just I, I, want, I want to make sure you know that this isn't jump on the young people tonight. But this is keys to life. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother. And here's the, here's the thing. Y'all remember that chant? Be aggressive. Be aggressive. And then they spelled it out. That might be, that might be a little tough. Paul charges Timothy... In 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. <laughs> be thou an example of the believers, talking to the youth, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be examples. B-E-E-X-A-M-P-L-E-S, examples. That's what Paul was trying to tell Timothy. He was trying to get him fired up, Sister Anna. I can always count on you. I'm terrified to look at my own offspring right now. But I'm telling you that this is what he was telling Timothy. You are an example. So it's not the will of God that parents and siblings be on eggshells when young person A or C walks into the room, never knowing what emotional eruption there might be never knowing what demand there might be. You are a Holy Ghost-filled young person that plays a vital role in the united family of God. You're a Holy Ghost-filled young person that plays a vital role in the family of God. Now, here in a moment, I'm going to have to control myself because I'm about to go off on the enemy of our souls. Because there have been lies perpetrated against parents and teens saying that when teenagers become teenagers, they lose their mind, they sow their wild oats, they, they get rebellious. It is a lie from the pit of hell. You don't find it anywhere in this book. It was fabricated and it was manufactured by a culture that is anti-Christ. The generation gap itself is antichrist. The idea that there's a generation gap and every manifestation of generation gap does not come from the word of God. I, I said I would talk. Back to talk. Here we go. Somebody just shouted out. Somebody tell me what is one way that generation gap manifests itself? Music. Somebody said music. For sure. Fashion, okay, music, fashion, speech, what about, somebody said technology, oh, advertising, what about this, what about this, what about, what about slang? See, everything we just mentioned, its origins are all from pop culture. None of its origins come from this word, not one of it. So, the, so, so we ask ourselves, why are we divided? Well, because we drank from wells we shouldn't have drank from. You're making it hard for me to just talk. So, I, because this church likes it when people get fired up. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not feeding you like that. The, here's the thing. When we are drinking from the wells of culture, it gets in us, and now there is toxicity within the body and within the family and within the household. My God. 
Jesus was found teaching in the temple, not teaching in the temple, but teaching in the temple at 12 years old. Now, I understand, young person, you're probably saying to me, but he was Jesus. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Like, of course he was teaching in the temple, right? But, but Jewish culture held that age of 12 as the age of accountability. This is the age where the world tells us you don't have to be accountable. Everything's excusable. Go crazy. But here in Jewish culture, we see accountability being levied at the 12-year-old. And now when you fast forward into modern Jewish culture, you have the, the bar mitzvah for the boys, the bat mitzvah for the girls. And, and let, me, let me just extract from these celebrations exactly what they represent. At age 13, the mitzvah is celebrated. And from that day forward, each young person is to accept the law and its obligations, participate fully in services at the synagogue, and, oh my, set a good example for others. Be example. So this idea of the generation gap, it's a fallen deal. It's not a God-ordained deal. Hallelujah. And, and we don't want to embrace the world above the gospel. Hallelujah. James 4 and 1 says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? What lust wars in your members? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. The flesh always has an appetite for the fallen thing. It always has an appetite for the thing that is not born of the kingdom. I thank you for all the affirmative head nods, the engagement, you guys. I love my, I love my church family. And we're talking about the united family of God within the family of God. So, young person, we're going we're gonna to get off the young people. The Jacob generation, this is what I want to tell you. You have purpose. You have promise. What you do matters. You have, poor, you have power. Hallelujah. Joel prophesied not just that you would prophesy, but that you would see visions. Come on. I, I don't mean just visions of wonder and glory and Super Bowl. I'm talking about visions like that Cornelius. You know, he was saved because Peter had a vision that came from the Lord. That's the promise of the prophet that you young people will have visions. Visions that can save a household and the household's kinsmen and the household's near friends. Hallelujah. Elder, mom, dad, children, the united family of God, for God, in Christ. Again, we're talking about biblical understanding of just a few aspects of God's heartbeat for the generations. Moving right along. Mom and dad, my Isaac generation, my Isaac generation. If you're from the age, let's call it 20 to 50, raise your hand. Look around, look around. If your hand's not up, I want you to look around. This is the multi-generational church. 20 to 50, some of you didn't like having to raise your hand, but, but you did. My son had to raise his hand. I don't, I don't know if he did, but he's in that group. So we need to have a big old Ephesians 5 banner over our household. Now, I want to get into Ephesians 5, but some of you got to work tomorrow, and we'd be here all night because I'd love to spend some time in Ephesians 5. But we just need to put that banner, that virtual banner of the manifestation and the demonstration of Ephesians 5, Brother Jordan, I see you affirming the word, over our households, 
over our marriages, over our parent-child relationships, my God, and over our relationships one with another, in word and in deed, submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God, husbands loving your wife more than is humanly possible. Well, how can you say that, Brian? How is that possible? Because that's the way Christ loved the church, in a way that is not humanly possible. It's the Spirit of Christ in me that empowers me to love my spouse the way that he loved the church. Amen. Wives that respect their husbands more than they can earn, more than they deserve. I'll readily admit it. I don't know where she's sitting. Where's my beautiful bride sitting? I need to get a lock on her. There she is. Okay. She's got to respect me beyond what I deserve. I don't deserve the respect. Now, inherent in my nature, I think I deserve the respect. I think if I raise my voice or take a tone, then that'll prove it. But that's, that's the crazy cycle for those of you that are familiar with the Love and Respect book and Dr. Dr. Uh, yeah, Dr. E. Can't remember his last name. Okay, so let's, let's move right along. Mom, Dad. Whether you are in unity of marriage as believers or standing as an individual by the grace of God, we are charged in Proverbs 22 and 6 to train up a child in the way that they should go. To train. Somebody say to train. That is one of the many charges to our generation, the Isaac generation. The worldly ideology is not to train, it's to entertain. The worldly ideology says, sign the kids up for everything, strip them of their ability that comes through responsibility. Oh, I can't preach for effect. Just declare the word of God. Bring the truth. Strip them of the ability that comes through responsibility. And here's the thing. You show me a battle where one side is utterly decimated, utterly defeated, and I will show you soldiers that were woefully untrained. Amen. I used to coach baseball. And if we got into a match where we were getting our tails whipped, guess what? It was because we were unprepared. It was because we were untrained. And you can make excuses from thither to yon. But the bottom line is that we have got to train and equip our children and our young adults. This Jacob generation, this branch youth, run from the appearance of evil. I'm telling you, Brother Brian's telling you, Jacob generation, run, run from the appearance of evil. Run from the appearance of evil. <laughs> no, 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 no. Run. Flee the very appearance of evil. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me give you a little, a little tip, a little trick if I can. Don't compromise your purity. Don't compromise your purity. Don't compromise the purity of your speech. Don't compromise the purity of your physical relationships. Can I say something to this Jacob generation? Don't get married without having premarital counseling. Man, don't get married without having premarital counseling. Brother Glasgow, you're going to give me an amen on that. Come on. <laughs> you, you say, Brian, what? This is just too practical. I don't know what to do with this. I, I can't run. I can't jump. Well, here's what we do with it. 
we apply it. We leave this place and we determine in our hearts that we're going to be a united family of God. And we're committed and consecrated to his purpose. Hallelujah. I don't want to see any young person KO'd in the first round. Do you know how grievous it is? And, and I, 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 will, I will engage in counsel with anyone that seeks it. But I'm going to share a secret with you. It's grievous to me that when the counseling comes and we ask about the premarital counseling, there wasn't any. And we're back. Okay. We have instances of Hollywood parents literally keeping the names, the pronouns, the clothing, the toys, and, and the decor of, of their children's rooms gender neutral. This is declared. This is like in the media. Because Hollywood's got it figured out. They want to make sure that they don't decide the gender for the child until they're old enough to declare their gender. This is apparently a home with no mirrors. No, thank you, hell. No, thank you. My God. This ultra-woke liberal ideology has come to a place of utter insanity, and it's hurtling towards self-destruction. Am I railing on society? No, I'm not. I'm telling you the truth about society, and I'm saying you can't win a battle that you don't know is raging. That's what Brother Brian is saying tonight. And this is where the slippery slope will take us. Now, it's about to get real. When children that are not of age and are not being trained are telling mom and dad what they're going to eat, and they're telling mom and dad what they're going to wear, and they're telling mom and dad what they're going to watch, and they're telling mom and dad where they'll go, you run that play out for a generation or two, and you'll have children that are telling mom and dad whether they're a boy or a girl. I, I hope that you understand my spirit right now. We are the church of the living God. And when we walk out in public, there is something on us that ain't on the world. There's something in us that ain't in the world. There's something that should emanate from us that doesn't emanate from the world. They ought to see it. They ought to hear it. They ought to taste it. They ought to smell it. They ought to feel it when they walk up by us. And this is the promise. If we will become the united family of God. He will unleash in his church a revival like we've never seen. Men will see our good works and give glory to the Father which is in heaven. I'm declaring it. I'm believing it. It's not my prophecy. It's the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heaven, help us. And it's not a cliche. We need the Holy Ghost of heaven to move upon and in and through us as parents to train up our children in the way that we should go, the way that they should go. From diet, yeah, to daily disciplines, in choices, in charity. <laughs> We've got to train our children. 
We've got to train our children. Come on, Isaac. Don't outsource instruction. Don't outsource instruction. Pastor Purdy's program and Pastor Kovach's calling, they are not and never will be as powerful as the anointing that is on you as a priest of your home. Open up your mouth. Open up your heart. Open up your schedule and sow into the lives of your children. And don't stop sowing. Don't stop sowing. Don't stop praying. Don't don't stop teaching. Don't stop living the example before them of what it means to be a godly parent. Come on. Come on. They got to learn more from us than just about culture. Hallelujah. This is the essence of our oneness identity. Here it is, that God is one. And I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. He does not share well, folks. Not when it comes to worship and not when it comes to his glory. There are attributes of God that we are not supposed to share with him. And there are some attributes that we do share with him. Let me tell you one that we are not to share with him. He's a jealous God. We're not supposed to be envious, but he's envious. And I promise you, it's a jealous, burning envy. He's consumed with it. He wants his children to be committed to him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy say, with the heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Hallelujah. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. When? When should we teach them? On Christmas Eve, at Easter, no, 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 no. You shall talk about them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Well, when do we not talk about them? Well, I guess we're just going to have to figure that out because as near as I can tell, that's all we're talking about. <laughs> Psalm 127, low children are in heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Mom, dad, these children that you have, they're arrows. Do you know what an arrow is? It's a powerful weapon. And it's a weapon that's meant to strike somewhere beyond perhaps where you can even see. You let that thing fly. I'm talking it might leave the, the, the battlefield that you're on right now and it could pierce somewhere down the line. It could change a community that you haven't even come into understanding that, that you would ever even impact. It's why it's so vital. And here's the deal. That arrow will imminently become the archer. Because this is the perpetuity of the kingdom. Amen. Children obey their parents and they love the Lord and they respect and they obey. And they hear goodly instruction and they reject the world. The, the, the parents are doing their part, training up a child as the way they in the way that they should go. The elders are doing their part. We'll get to that in just one second as I begin to close. But as it's happening, it's happening over and over again. Don't be the weakest link. Don't let the perpetuity stop with any family in this church. Come on. We are the united family of God, of God, of God. Fathers. Now, I messed up on this one a lot. Provoke not your children to wrath. It was a courteous lack of amen from my family. But it says, bring them up in the nurture, that is to say, in the teaching or training, back to the scripture that we've already referenced multiple times. And admonition, in other words, the attention, something that we are 
heeding as a warning of the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.9, take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thy eye hath seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but rather teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons, and let me say it this way, to thy children and thy children's children. Mom and dad, you've seen miracles. You remember. My, my, my kids have heard my stories over and over. And I, I was talking, we were going over one-tenth in tithing. And uh, I was talking to Braylon this week on the way to school. And I said, did you ever wonder how the priests get taken care of and where their food comes, on, comes from and where the blankets they sleep under? Who paid for that? Uh-uh. I didn't think so. But you're five, so it's time to talk about it. Did you ever wonder how the apostles were taken care of? Did you, did you know where they got their paychecks from? She said, no. I said, well, there's a thing called a tithe. And she said, a tithe? I said, yeah. I said, tithe. It's T-I-T-H. It's not ties like daddy used to wear. <laughs> it's a tithe. And so we went through one-tenth. And so we got down to a very specific example. She's blessed. She loves the Lord. And she found a $50 bill in a parking lot. I'm like, Lord, I love you. You know, and uh, so we were going to pay, and we explained tenth. There's ten five dollars. You give one of the five dollars to uh, Jesus, and she was so excited to do that. Got to put her name on the tithing envelope, and then she said to me, "And that leaves five more five dollars for me." <laughs> and I don't think she got it. I really don't. She was she was very obsessed with what's left over for me. But but the point carries. Teach your children diligently. Teach them. Hallelujah. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them what it was like when Marla and I got married and we were too young. When I still have the photo of the first time we had enough groceries that when you opened the door of the refrigerator, it looked like there was something in it. Tell them when, when we didn't have enough money, we were, man, we were writing rubber rent checks. Come on. And I remember the first missionary that came through and we wrote a $50 faith promise, Brother Enos. We didn't have $50, but we never missed that commitment. And it wasn't long before God started setting some things in order. And I remember when that $50 commitment turned to 100 and when it grew from 2 to 250 to what it is now that ain't none of your business. And I'm just telling you that God is faithful. Tell it to your children. He'll keep you. I once was young, but now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed begging for bread. <laughs> Where are my praying parents at? Our children need to know your voice in testimony. They need to know your voice in praise. They need to know your voice in prayer. Our voice and opinions about politics and sports and frivolity and academia, these will never convert the soul of a child. But your steadfast example will make all the difference in the world. Hallelujah. Mom and dad, if you're not volunteering, I implore you today, serve. Find a way. Serve, 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 serve the Lord. Find a way to serve. Let your children see them. Let them roll their eyes. Let them say, we got to leave early again. Yes, we do.
because I get the great privilege, and I didn't always say it this way, I'm going to confess, I get the great privilege of teaching the children today, or I get the great privilege of leading in worship today, or I have a meeting because we're organizing and getting prepared for such and such. Do you understand what I'm saying? Give them a godly example to follow. Musicians, you can come. You can come. We're going to close just momentarily. Again, we're talking tonight about biblical understanding of just a few aspects of God's heartbeat for the generation. And and let me say this to the Isaac generation. Our kids don't need perfect parents. And they certainly don't need plastic parents that come put a smile on at church while everything is havoc in the home. They need parents that are humble, that walk in integrity, that seek first the kingdom, and most importantly, they get up when they fall down. Did did you hear what I just said? That get up when they fall down. Parents that will hold to God's unchanging hand. I want to talk to my beloved Abraham generation for a moment. Two words that are in my heart for you. Thank you. Thank you. My elders, I thank you. I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for having voices that God is familiar with. Voices that he recognizes. I thank you for giving. I thank you for blessing and for weeping and for reaching and for serving. I thank you, Abraham. Brother Ken Wilson, I thank you. I thank you when I came to First Apostolic Church for getting up here and you had that soft-spoken demeanor and you would teach the Word of God on Sunday mornings, friend. And you know what I had to do to listen to you? I had to lean in because you weren't loud like Brother Brian. But I'll tell you what you were. You were anointed of the Lord. Hallelujah. And you delivered that Word of truth and it established my faith and it edified me. Thank you. Young people, our elders have seen things you haven't seen. They've crossed rivers that you haven't crossed. And I know that nothing's the same from generation to generation, but the truth is everything's the same. There's still one God, and he's still faithful, and there's still one adversary, and he's still mobilized. Everything's changed, but nothing's changed. Elders, we need you. We need you. Listen, brother elder, be sober, grave and temperate, sound in the faith and in charity and in patience. In patience. Listen, sister elder, be in behavior as becometh holiness, not a false accuser, not given to much wine, the teacher of good things. Let me say something to our saints that are listening online and our elder saints, our Abraham saints. Your work is not done here. Your work is not done here. You are part of the united family of God. You are part of the plan. In the kingdom, retirement is heaven. There's no pre-retirement retirement. In the kingdom, retirement is heaven. Philippians 1 and 6, 
Elder, be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It might sound crazy for our elders to get up here and say, he's still working on me to make me what he is, what I ought to be. But that's exactly what's happening. Elder, he's not done with you. It ain't over till it's over. You have value. You have worth. You are a pivotal part of the united family of God. To the Isaac and the Jacob generation, Job 12 with the ancient. (laughs) That's a not-so-kind way of saying with the elderly is wisdom. And in length of days there is understanding. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and he hath understanding. We need to bless our elders and esteem our elders. They have much to offer. So here it is. Here's the conclusion of the matter. There is a blessing. There is a blessing for the home and the church that understands what it means to be a united, multi-generational family. Jacob laid his hands on his sons, and he laid his hands on his grandsons, and he blessed them. And the Bible says in Proverbs 31 that this virtuous woman's children called her blessed. We see a picture of the blessing flowing down from the elder to the younger. We see a picture of the blessing flowing up from the younger to the elder. The blessed man's seeds serve him as sons and daughters, not as servants and slaves, but as sons and daughters. The blessing flows within the family from the young to the old and from the old to the young. It's a rich, reciprocal blessing when we honor one another, when we are unified as the family. We, being many, are one body in Christ. Let's all stand. When one member suffers, doesn't matter what generation, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. For we are laborers together with God. God, empower us tonight, Lord, to honor and respect, to listen and to praise and to befriend, Lord, every generation of our families, God. That our households would be impenetrable, That we would be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might, God. That we would be the united family. The united family of God. I'll ask our praise singers, they go ahead and sing. I want my Jacob generation, 20 and under, if you would, I want you to just come over to this right side of the auditorium. Would you do that? If you would just come forward. This right side. Amen. Amen, amen. Look at this. Look at this. Abraham, Isaac, look at this. Do they matter to you? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I I, I don't want to impose upon my elders, but if you're 50 and older, I wonder if you'd come over here, come forward over here to my left. I want this Jacob generation to see you. I want them to inventory those that are watching over them, praying for them, 
that have gone before them in the faith, 50 and over if you come here. And that great middle, you could say there, that's the largest representation in the church. Young people, I want you to turn your attention toward your elders and toward this middle generation. And I want you to begin to pray for them right now. Pray a blessing of the Lord over them. Elders, pray a blessing of the Lord over our Isaacs and our Jacobs. Pray in the name of Jesus over them. Ask the Lord to anoint them and to bless them. Isaac generation, pray, pray the oneness of the family, the unified family of God. That the Lord of hosts would make it himself manifest in our homes, manifest in our lives. As the Spirit would lead, pray for one another. Let's esteem one another in the Holy Ghost today. In the name of the Lord, I declare strength over our young people, God. Over every young lady and over every young man. Lord, you know the path that they take. I declare the blessing of the Lord over them. I pray that their identity would be certain and that it would be settled and that it would be sure. God, that your name would be written upon their hearts, God. I pray in the name of Jesus over my elders, God. I thank you for their steadfast example. Strengthen them, Lord. Encourage them. Bless them and anoint them, Father. I pray in the name of the Lord over the Isaac generation, God, that we would be filled with the Holy Ghost of heaven, that you would inspire us, Lord, and propel us forward, God, as your goodly examples, Lord. Empower us to teach and to lead and to serve and to bless. and blessing them. Let's pray. I see some elders. Come on. Let's be the unified body. The unified body tonight. He called.